Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast for our Friday episode for week 15 of the 2024 NBA season. I'm your host, Karsten. Welcome to the show uh, and or welcome back to the show. Both previous listeners and brand new listeners alike, thank you for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Um, we're going to have a normal Friday episode, kind of as we talked about on the, the last episode on Wednesday. Um, just a quick note, I'm glad that I'm fully back in my uh, capabilities here. Of course, if you've been listening recently, you know that I was dealing with some sickness, uh, possible strep throat type situation last week, especially, um, but basically good now finished off those uh those antibiotics and we're pretty much good to go i'm knocking on wood right here if you can hear that i don't know if the audio picked that up but knock on wood that hopefully this is the last of um you know the illness for at least a little while seems like i got sick uh, a few times in in recent months so i'm hoping to to stay on the uh on the up and up over the next few weeks because um it, things are busy, and I will say there's potentially some scheduling updates as far as the next few weeks. For sure, we'll have um, some changed um, episode days uh, around All-Star Weekend, um, so certainly stay tuned for that. I know that we have a few more bonus episodes we'd like to do as well, and uh, my own day-to-day work schedule is busy over these next um, couple of weeks specifically uh, due to it being our busy time of year in the line of business that I'm in at the moment. So there's a lot of things that are going to maybe alter schedules uh, as far as podcast episodes and length of episodes, content, things of that nature. So real quick, just definitely be sure to follow our social media pages on you know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter for updates where we'll post, you know, any updates on schedule or anything of that nature. Um, so you can stay updated, but of course we'll also on any new up episodes, we'll be sure to, you know, Hey, here's what the schedule looks like. So anyways, just wanted to preempt with that because it's something that I know could be affecting us over the next few weeks. Um, but otherwise we're, we're feeling good. We've got a lot to talk about. Um, easily past the halfway point of the season. And of course we are now less than a week away from the trade deadline, February 8th. So this upcoming Thursday is the trade deadline. Of course, we've had a handful of notable trades. We had one actually over the last, um, last day or so. We'll talk about that with our key news. Um, that's going to be a big storyline, especially next week's episodes. We'll talk a lot about that. We'll probably do a trade deadline recap special type episode, um, so look out for that as well. But in the meantime, let's go ahead and waste no more time. Let's jump into the uh, in, into the bulk of what we have for you. You know, we'll have our game summaries, um, our latest franchise focus today, as well as our our fantasy Fridays and all of those kind of Friday wrap up segments. But we'll start with our five and five drill and our six men, um, basically our game summaries from the last couple of nights, as well as our key news. Okay, we're going to start on Wednesday night with uh, the Miami Heat hosting the Sacramento Kings for the first of five games. We'll focus on a little more in depth. Uh, Big one because Miami had been on a lengthy losing streak, a seven game losing streak, which was the longest uh, that we've seen with any Eric Spolster led Miami Heat team. So it was certainly notable Um, playing the Sacramento Kings, a tough team. 
um, one of the top third teams in the Western Conference. But the Heat got business taken care of. They won the game. They snapped the losing streak. Final score, 115-106 to 106, uh, in favor of the home team, Miami Heat. So big win for them. And it was an interesting game. I mean, Miami had a huge uh, second quarter run. Early in the quarter, they had a very nar- narrow margin of victory. Then they led by as many as 18. And then it was a very narrow margin of victory going into halftime. Uh, a surge that was quickly answered by Sacramento. Back and forth, lead changes in the third and then a gradual lead built by Miami uh, to close out the game. So, uh, you know, gutsy win for them at a time where they've been struggling, and they shot the ball very well, 50% from the floor, 46% from three-point range, better than 16%, uh, 16.4% better than what Sacramento shot from three-point range. So um, just a lot more uh, locked in offensively in terms of the shot making in this game. For the Kings, they were led by Keegan Murray. 33 points for him. He's had a number of high-scoring games. He was 7 of 11 from three-point range, um, shooting 63%. The outlier, though, for Sacramento. Otherwise, as a team, including Keegan Murray, they shot about 30%. Um, No one other than Murray and Sabonis, who made his one three-point attempt, uh, no one else shot better than 33% from three-point range. So uh, rough shooting there, certainly a factor. Uh, Speaking of Sabonis, he had 19 points. 17 rebounds and 13 assists. That is his fifth triple double in the last eight games. Um, and especially kind of a statement piece um, this week, notable um, with him and Fox not being named all-stars. And we'll talk about that actually a little bit later, um, but we'll preempt with that comment real quick. But yes, yeah, the bonus and Murray, very solid uh, Kevin Herter with 14 points. And then Darren Fox struggled shooting mightily 13 points on 25% shooting one of eight from three-point range as well. Uh, Did have five boards, three assists, and two steals. Um, Yeah, tough production from Fox along with Herter and and only six points off the bench from Monk. Big factors, but then for Miami, they were led by Jimmy Butler, 31 points, seven boards, and six assists. He was 71% from the floor, including nine of 12 from the free throw line. And then they got 24 points off the bench from the veteran Josh Richardson, a guy who's been there and back and then gone away and back again for Miami. Um, six of 10 shooting from three point range for Josh Richardson um, in a place that he knows well. So uh, putting up some good numbers for the heat. They also got 16 points, 11 rebounds from Bam out of bio and then 14 points, eight boards, eight assists for Tyler hero. So they get off the Schneid, uh, a big gutsy win for him there. Tough loss for Sacramento. And I think we might start talking about them. I, we, we talk about them in spurts and then they have better weeks and they kind of fluctuate in between. I want to say like the, you know, eighth to 13th or 14th spots in the NBA kind of power rankings category. When we do those, you know, they're a good team, but they just never get good enough runs to, to become a really great team. And they never get bad enough runs to fall middle of the pack. They just kind of stay hovering okay, which is really, you know, you can't complain too much, um, but it's just with that potential, I feel like they could do even better. Um, But still, big win for Miami. That's the first game we're talking about. Let's jump to a huge, uh, hugely consequential Western Conference matchup here um, with the Oklahoma City Thunder hosting the Denver Nuggets, a matchup of two of the top three or four teams in the Western Conference. And the Oklahoma City Thunder 
get a big win at home, 105 to 100, your final score, big fourth quarter for the the Thunder and Shea Gilgis-Alexander in particular. Uh, they built a big lead, uh, narrowly you know, held on. They almost lost the lead in the final minutes, uh, but they were able to still get the victory. Uh, pretty close numbers, but they were a little bit better shooting team overall in the game. Um, so that was certainly a big factor. As far as box score goes, let's look at Denver. Um, no Nicole Jokic in this game. What if only a, a couple of games maybe he's missed this year? Um, instead, they got 16 points each from three different players. Firstly, Aaron Gordon starting at center in this game, who also had 13 rebounds, seven assists, and four blocks. Kind of stuffs the stat sheet there. But they also got 16 from Jamal Murray and the backup point guard off the bench, Reggie Jackson. Then they got 15 points from Michael Porter Jr., 11 from Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, and then 10 off the bench from the sophomore Christian Brown. Not terrible. Um, could have used a touch more offense, especially in a, a tighter knit game. But then you look at things for the Thunder. Yeah, SGA doing it all. 34 points, seven boards, uh, five assists, two blocks, and a steal. And then Chet Holmgren, 18 points, including a dagger three towards the end. He also got 13 rebounds, five blocks. Holmgren and SGA kind of leading the charge. Uh, they got 12 off the bench from both Aaron Wiggins and uh, Vasily Micic. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. I did read the pronunciation a while back, and I've since forgotten it. I do apologize. And he's an older rookie, of course, with the Thunder. But um, <clears throat> again, this is a thing where I'm seeing this a touch more with OKC, and it's a small concern where Jalen Williams may not have an, a, a great game in a certain night. Of course, he didn't play in this game. Um, they don't have a lot of bench scoring. There's some concerns there, but they still get the win, big win for them. After this one, that moved the Thunder up into second in the West. But more importantly, perhaps, it also gives them the tiebreaker advantage versus the Nuggets specifically. So that's a nice thing to have in your back pocket when it comes to uh, vying for Western Conference playoff positioning. Um, and then as a consequence, the Nuggets fell down to fourth in the Western Conference thanks to the next game we'll talk, or well, thanks to other games from Wednesday night, rather. Um, but yeah, big win for OKC against the reigning champs, but also a team that's looking to be where the Thunder are in terms of what the one or first or second best team in the Western Conference, um, certainly regular season-wise in terms of getting that um, home court advantage for as much of the playoffs as you can get it. So big win for OKC in that one. Let's jump to our last game from Wednesday night. This was the big one, maybe one of the big storylines of this whole week and of the last couple of weeks in terms of um, a storyline that makes you tune into a game. Damian Lillard returning to Portland as a member of the Milwaukee Bucks this time around to face his former team for the first time since being traded this past offseason. Um, first of all, big kudos, hats off um, to the Portland crowd, lengthy standing ovation uh, during the player introduction for Damian Lillard. Lillard was very gracious in response. You know, it showed that obviously the moment meant a lot to everyone involved. Lillard and the fans, you know, very much both a love for each other and an appreciation for what they, you know, what all those years meant, the highs and lows. 
uh, more often highs because there was many great trailblazers teams and, and overachieving perhaps, but they had great runs in the playoffs. Lillard with clutch moments, iconic moments, the, the thunder game winner, you know, all these great things, arguably the greatest trailblazer in history. You know, again, Clyde Drexler has an argument there. Um, some maybe would have a dark horse argument for, for Bill Walton, of course, a champion with the trailblazers, but Lillard, the highest scorer in franchise history, um, maybe will end up being their most iconic in terms of, again, those moments. Um, but still just awesome to see the fan base recognize the moment and, you know, react appropriately because again, I think the trade made sense for both parties. You know, Lillard had, had been committed to Portland for a long time and had been part of winning years and wanted to have an opportunity to be with a, a team that was ready to win now. And Portland, made the move for him that would allow him to do that, but also for themselves that gave him a, a little bit, you know, of a chance to actually do a full rebuild and, you know, figure out what that next great trailblazers team and those next stars look like. So anyways, great to see that mutual respect. And then the game started and he had a pretty great game back and forth affair, 13 lead changes in this one. The game was tied at 12 different points. Um, the Blazers led by 10 for a brief moment in the fourth. Otherwise, no other double-digit leads in this game. Um, and the teams were pretty much neck neck and neck in rebounds, assists, turnovers. Um, but the Trailblazers shot a lot better from the floor, and that was uh, a part of a deciding factor towards the end. Um, as far as box score goes, let's go with uh, Milwaukee, first of all. Um, Giannis actually led them in scoring 27 points. Eight boards, three steals, and a block. Um, they got 25 from the former Trailblazer, Damian Lillard. Uh, six boards, seven assists for him. He didn't shoot that great from the floor, but was still productive, and especially late had a, a clutch drive and dunk that got the crowd excited, and it was in the final moments when it was kind of anyone's game to win. Uh, so he had a big moment there. Chris Middleton had 21 points and eight assists. Uh, three of five shooting from three point range. They got 19 points, um, four boards, two blocks and a steal from Brooke Lopez, who was also four of 10 from three point range. And then 11 points off the bench from Bobby Portis, not terrible for Milwaukee, some decent spread in the scoring, but hats off to Portland for their efforts in this one, 24 points from Anthony Simons, uh, the most recent backcourt mate of Damian Lillard, including a clutch floater following the Lillard dunk that helped, kind of turned the tide for Portland and they were able to get some stops in the end to to seal a victory. Uh, final possession, I want to say Lillard passed off to, to Lopez for a three-point attempt that wasn't able to go and then the Trailblazers hung on for the win um, and Simons led the way for them in this game to, to get that win. So big one, uh, again, five assists, three boards. He was four of nine from three-point range. He got 20 points, 11 boards, plus a steal and a block for DeAndre Ayton. Uh, 18 points for Jeremy Grant, 15 off the bench for the rookie Scoot Henderson, 14 points, six boards, six assists for Malcolm Brogdon, and then 10 off the bench as well for Duop Reith, uh, who made both of his three-point attempts. So, again, great game for, for Portland. Um, bittersweet for Lillard to not be able to get the win in Portland, but in a sense, it's not a – you kind of – 
as a Portland fan, obviously you love to see him win. If Lillard had won, it would be like, well, you know, you can give up that game, especially in a rebuilding type of year. Um, so there wasn't really a scenario in that sense of it where they lose uh, that night in terms of the fan perspective. Um, but they've got to be happy with a win. Lillard had a nice game. They got the proper send off and that almost kind of actually seals the, the deals closes the, the book on, on the Lillard, you know, chapter, because obviously his career as a trailblazer had ended, but that was the final piece, the epilogue, um, him returning and, and the fans being able to show the appreciation and, and get the closure, I guess. So now it's full focus on, okay, where does the next great trailblazers team and the next great set of players come from? How do they build this in Portland? Um, you know, in earnest. So anyways, big win for them on, on such an emotional night. That is it for our Wednesday games. Our final two games come from last night's action Thursday night, starting with another Celtics home loss. Of course, they started the year 20 and Oh, at home over their last five games, though, they've, one, two, and lost three. The latest of these losses coming to their bitter rival, the Los Angeles Lakers. They win in Boston 114 to 105, your final score for the Lakers. Um, going into this one, the Celtics were 166 and one uh had 166 wins. The Lakers had 133 wins. This was their 300th regular season meeting. A big milestone for such, uh, you know, the NBA's uh, flagship rivalry. And uh, in those 299 previous games, the average margin of victory of the games was 2.22 points per game. Uh, or, yeah, po- points of difference, I suppose. Um, so games usually between these two decided by very few points. Uh, these are you know, grinded out battles again, 300th regular season uh, meeting the Lakers win. So now that mark is 166 to 134 in favor of Boston. So the Lakers get a little bit of ground there. Um, They're going to need another few years of, of winning the matchup to, to break even there, but um, still big win for them. uh, Apart from the rivalry stuff, the Lakers have had a struggle of a year and they're looking for more consistency. And especially without uh, LeBron, or AD, I believe. Yeah, no LeBron or AD in this game. It was going to be an uphill battle in Boston, but the Lakers really kind of controlled the game. After the second quarter, they never trailed. They led by as many as 16 uh, in the third quarter. And they did it mainly through uh, the turnovers. They were able to get get some steals, get out on the break, but more importantly, the three-point shooting. Um, They, despite shooting a lot worse from the, the free throw line, the Lakers shot nearly 20% better from three-point range. And that was certainly a, a key factor in this game. As far as box go, uh, box score is concerned, for the Celtics, they had three double-figure scorers. Firstly, Jason Tatum, 23 points, seven boards, three assists. Then they got 17 points and seven boards, along with five blocks from Chris Tapps for Zingas. And then off the bench, Sam Hauser had 17 points on five of nine, shooting from three. Outside of that, that was it. All their double figure scores. Number of guys with nine or eight points, like Jalen Brown, Derek White. Um, but then you look at things for the Lakers. They were led by Austin Reeves, 32 points, a season high in points for him, along with a career high seven three pointers. He went seven of 10 from three point range, lights out shooting 
to be the Lakers de facto go-to guy um, without LeBron or AD. Dancer Russell, the next best guy there uh, alongside Reeves, 16 points, 14 assists, eight rebounds. He was four of eight from three-point range. And then they got 16 points, 10 rebounds from Jackson Hayes starting at center, who also had three steals. Um, 15 off the bench from Roy Hachimura, 11 from Torian Prince, 10 for Jared Vanderbilt, who also had three steals, um, eight boards for Prince, seven boards for Vanderbilt, eight boards for Russell, eight boards for Hachimura. Um, so credit to the Lakers here. Uh, I think that's a, a big win. It, it's hopefully for them a, a win that they can, you know, kind of fall back on or at least look to recently as, you know, a, a, a catalyst for building some more consistent winning for the Celtics. It starts to raise some small concerns uh, after such a hot start at home. Now you're not looking quite as invulnerable at home. That first win or that first loss for you rather at home, you got another loss and then you, you don't want it to snowball. And especially for a team that has been good, but not amazing on the road. Uh, they've been 15 and nine on the road. If you're now not going to be as stellar at home, uh, they still have a sizable games lead over the next best teams in the Eastern conference. Um, but you don't want to let that gap close and you want to be able to um, build consistency towards the end of the regular season to set yourself up well for the playoffs. So there's some concerns there um, for the moment though, big win for Los Angeles and Austin Reeves. Again, the rivalry, always a storyline. And uh, even when, you know, one team is better than the other, even when, you know, the Celtics haven't won a championship for a little while now. Um, it always matters. And I think that's fun to notice uh, and to, to make note of with this game. So that's our fourth game. And our final game from the last couple of nights is going to be uh, a game. I watched of course, because I am a jazz fan and uh, I was disappointed with the outcome, but Props to the the Sixers, the Philadelphia 76ers, winning in Utah in Salt Lake City against the Jazz in a very close game, 127 to 124. And Tyrese Maxey uh, on a big night for him will you know, give away a bit of our key news. We're, we're talking about the recent announcement of the All-Star Reserves. Tyrese Maxey was named a first-time All-Star in the Eastern Conference for the Sixers. So congratulations to him on a night where he was announced as an all-star. He then goes out on the floor in Salt Lake City and drops a career high 51 points to lead the Sixers in this game. More on that in a bit, but for the game, the Jazz actually uh, had much more assists uh, than the Sixers, but they had more turnovers and shot uh, much worse from three-point range. So a number of factors there to consider. Um, an exciting game, though. Only four lead changes, but that fourth quarter was very tight. Felt like anyone could kind of win it. Uh, the Jazz looked like they could maybe be making a run to take the game, uh, but then just couldn't quite get the the big moments towards the end. Patrick Beverly had a clutch three-pointer uh, that was able to put the Sixers ahead uh, or, or you know extend that lead, rather. So a number of things, the Jazz just couldn't get the game reined back in. Uh, they've lost a few recently, and so that's, you know, they haven't been as hot as they were, but Philadelphia gets you win without Joel Embiid. Um, as far as box score goes, let's actually go back to Utah for just a second. 28 points for Lowry Markkinen, 
with 10 rebounds as well, four of nine from three. He was, you know, as is usually the case, the best player for them in this game. They got 22 points from Colin Sexton. He was aggressive. I like to see him, um, to watch him play and what he's able to do. A steal and a block for him, along with six assists. Off the bench, they got 16 points, 10 assists from Jordan Clarkson, who really struggled shooting the ball in the game. Uh, 14 points from Kelly Olynyk off the bench. They got 15 points, nine rebounds, two blocks from John Collins, and then 11 points off the bench from the rookie Keontae George. Not terrible for, for the Jazz, but again, 51 for Tyrese Maxey of the Sixers, seven of nine from three-point range, 10 of 11 from the free throw line. Huge. Then they also got 28 from Tobias Harris, who had seven assists and five boards. A very well-rounded game to complement Maxi, And then 16 points from Kelly Oubre Jr. with some nice shooting in the second half from three-point range. He was three of six for the game from three. And he also had three blocks, two steals. So he added those defensive numbers. And then Paul Reed, serviceable job in relief of Joel Embiid. Seven points, ten rebounds, two blocks, and a steal. So those four guys really got the job done. Utah didn't have enough of a cohesive response to be able to, to fight against it. And again, Maxi a career-high 51. He joined Wilt Chamberlain, Allen Iverson, and Joel Embiid as the only Philadelphia 76ers with multiple 50-point games in a season. So that's some pretty elite company. Uh, very early in his career, now an all-star, and now etching his name into the record books with guys of that kind of ilk. It, it's very exciting. So uh, big win for the Sixers. And those are the five games that we wanted to focus on a little bit more in detail. As far as the remaining games, we didn't have a chance to to talk about in depth on Wednesday, the LA Clippers beat the Washington wizards in Washington, 125 to 109 Kawhi with 31 points. The Cleveland Cavaliers won at home against the Detroit Pistons, 128 to 121, uh, in large part thanks to a huge uh, fourth quarter from Donovan Mitchell. He had 20 of his 45 total points in the fourth quarter, matching his jersey number, of course, with total points, but also getting the Cavs a win. By the way, quick note on that Clippers game I forgot to mention. With that win, they finished January with a 12-3 and mark, which was the best in the Western Conference. That moved them up into third, uh, supplanting Denver after that uh, Denver-OKC game. So something worth noting. Uh, Chicago Bulls won in Charlotte against the Hornets, 117-110. to Kobe White with a season-high 35 points, along with seven boards, nine assists. He has just been stellar this year for the Chicago Bulls. Uh, the Orlando Magic won in San Antonio against the Spurs, 108 to 98. And then the Minnesota Timberwolves won at home against the Dallas Mavericks, 121 to 87. Carl Anthony Towns with a near 30. Timberwolves uh, continue to hold on to the number one spot in the West with that win. The New Orleans Pelicans won in Houston against the Rockets, 110 to 99. Uh, thanks to Jonas Valanciunas double-double, among other things. And then finally, the Phoenix Suns won in Brooklyn against the Nets. Durant in Brooklyn against his former team, uh, 33 points in that game. But the final score, 136-120. to 120. Um, Some notable back and forth between Durant and his former teammate Cam Thomas. Exciting stuff, but for Phoenix, more importantly, that's their ninth win in their last 11 games. So they've been a hot team recently as well. As far as the uh, two other games from Thursday, we didn't have a chance to talk about. 
The New York Knicks won at home against the the uh, Indiana Pacers, rather, 109 to 105. Jalen Brunson with 40. And then the Cleveland Cavaliers won in Memphis against the Grizzlies, 108 to 101. And uh, again, both those teams winning. They have been winning a lot lately. Cavs, Knicks, uh, Suns now recently, I suppose, joined that group. But Cavs and Knicks especially, the two hottest teams in the NBA. So those are the games, uh, remaining games from the last couple of nights of action. With that, let's shift focus real quick into our key news. And we start with the trade. We mentioned there was a trade over the last day. Uh, the Memphis Grizzlies send center Stephen Adams, who of course is out this whole season and was out most of last season uh, with, with knee injuries. They sent Stephen Adams to the Houston Rockets in exchange for guard Victor Oladipo and three second round picks, two of those in 2024. So this upcoming draft and one in 2025 um, thoughts on the trades. Um, I'm a little perplexed, I guess for Memphis, if they're worried about the long-term health of a Steven Adams, it makes sense to, to get some draft capital and maybe you feel like you can find a guy to, to fill that role you know, to play alongside a Jaron Jackson Jr., maybe Xavier Tillman you like as a bit of an overachiever at that spot. I guess I don't hate it. Um, I felt like I would have liked to see them stick with Steven Adams because he's a, a great pro and has been solid. It's only recently that he's had the injury troubles, I think. So, and then as far as getting Oladipo, I just don't know what you're getting with Oladipo anymore. And I feel terrible saying something along those lines, because when he has played and when he's healthy, he's a guy that can be such a great asset to your team. And he's such a great guy in general locker room wise. That's always a slam dunk move, but the health question has just been such an issue for, you know, a long time now with Oladipo. I just worry that they're not getting the value of the, the, the player that he is because he just can't ever get back to that player. Um, that's my concern. Interesting trade. We'll see how it pans out. Uh, not really too strong of opinions either way at, at the moment, I suppose. Um, but that is a trade that happened. And again, trade deadline less than a week away. I'm sure we're going to see a, a ton more moves to talk about over the next several days. Uh, speaking of the Memphis Grizzlies, the NBA has granted the Grizzlies three 10 day hardship exceptions. Um, those were the signings we mentioned before of Matthew Hurt, Tosan, Uoma, and uh, Trey Jemison. So those were hardship exceptions that those 10-day contracts were signed out of. So just a footnote there for our transactions. Um, next, we've got some injury updates. Firstly, for the Philadelphia 76ers, center Joel Embiid is out with an injured left knee lateral meniscus. There's no timetable posted yet for this injury. Um so we'll certainly keep you posted on any updates there for the New York Knicks forward. Julius Randall's out uh, approximately two to three weeks with a dislocated right shoulder for the Chicago, Chicago bulls forward. Patrick Williams is out two weeks with left foot, acute bone edema, it's certainly a unique situation to be dealing with there uh, for the Detroit Pistons uh, forward center. Isaiah Stewart is out one to two weeks with an ankle sprain. Um, and for all of these guys, all Four of these guys, sizable forwards or, or big men inside. Um, they're all key players for the teams, impact players. We want to wish them all the best as they work to recover from these uh, injuries and get back on the floor healthy 
as soon as they can and stay on the floor. Um, we'd like to see that. Uh, we'd like nothing more than to see them back on the floor. So there's some injury updates for you. Um, a couple of fines. Firstly, the Pelicans, they've been fined $25,000 for failing to include forward Trey Murphy the third on the injury report for Saturday's game against uh, the New Orleans Pelicans. And then more uh, notably, the Philadelphia 76ers have been fined $75,000 for failing to include center Joel Embiid on the injury report in an accurate and timely manner for Saturday's game in Denver against the Nuggets. Also, the fine reportedly includes Philadelphia's history of prior violations. If you remember with the when James Harden was there at the very beginning of the season, they had a similar uh, investigation and or fine. Um, so prior situations or prior violations will be factored in. That is certainly worth noting when it comes to this new player participation and, and injury reporting policy that's been a hot button issue this year. So uh, big stuff there. Tough news for uh, a former NBA uh, champion, Rajon Rondo. Uh, he was reportedly arrested Sunday on misdemeanor gun and drug charges. Um, don't have a lot more, a lot else to report at this time. Um, it's a shame. Rondo, an underrated player, as far as his um, pure point guard play, his playmaking, uh, ball handle, distributing, along with solid defensive play. Uh, again, he was a champion, and um, he gets underrated. He's had some uh, some difficulties and some things that he's, you know, been dealing with or perhaps been doing um, in his post-playing career that have been odd, and um, it, it's hard to see. Hopefully, um, whatever the issue is, um, is able to get straightened out in terms of him being able to to just focus on having a, a you know a healthy and productive life in his uh, post playing career and not be getting into some of these kind of situations because no one wants to see this. Um, that's really all I have to say about it. Um, Memphis Grizzlies positive note here for a, a legend of the franchise, former NBA Defensive Player of the Year Mark Gasol will have his number 33 retired by the Grizzlies in April. Um, Gasol did recently announce his retirement from professional basketball, so congratulations to him on um, concluding such a standout career. Of course, he also won a championship with Toronto in 2019. Um, great player, him and Pauk, of course, uh, great international players, um, the two greatest Spanish players in NBA history. Uh, so that number of retirement, well-deserved, looking forward to that honor. Finally, we've got a bunch of NBA uh, league news and a lot of the honors type things. We'll start actually with, firstly, finalized plans for the updated two-day NBA draft. Um, these have been announced. The first night slash round will be at Barclays Center in Brooklyn on ABC and ESPN, as has been the case uh, for the last while, but the second night slash round, of course, second round moving to a second night will be reportedly at Seaport district studios in Manhattan. And that will be ESPN only. So I'm not sure what that broadcast will look like. Um, if there will be fans in, uh, attendance or not what the situation is, but, um, that is 
the updates on the draft. Next, monthly honors. Your coaches of the month, Tom Thibodeau and Teron Liu. Uh, Thibodeau of the New York Knicks, Teron Liu of the LA Clippers, named NBA coaches of the month in the Eastern and Western Conference, respectively. Congratulations to them. Rookies of the month, Brandon Miller of the Charlotte Hornets in the Eastern Conference and Victor Wembanyama of the San Antonio Spurs in the Western Conference, uh, respectively. So congratulations to them. And then finally, your players of the month, Donovan Mitchell of the Cleveland Cavaliers and Devin Booker of the Phoenix Suns, your NBA players of the month in the Eastern and Western Conference, respectively. Again, congratulations to all of them. Well-deserved um, players on, on winning teams uh, in Mitchell and Booker, coaches of winning teams, and then Miller and Wenbinyama, uh, of course, the most exciting in the month of January. Uh, finally, some all-star specific notes, starting with the uh, 2024 NBA all-star beneficiaries, um, local charitable organizations that will be benefactors of um, all-star festivities in terms of uh, the, with each assist in the all-star game, these charities will get a certain dollar amount along with uh, the winning you know, designated team will will get a certain amount of money to this organization. The East is going to be playing for the Special Olympics Indiana. And then the West will play for the Boys and Girls Clubs of Indianapolis. Uh, so great organizations and always great to see the NBA partnering with uh, charitable organizations like this uh, to to go more than just, you know, play the game, but to have an impact in these uh, in these communities, especially with a weekend like All-Star Weekend. And then finally, for All-Star Weekend, the All-Star 2024 NBA All-Star Reserves were announced in the Western Conference. Kawhi Leonard of the LA Clippers, Anthony Davis of the Los Angeles Lakers, Devin Booker of the Phoenix Suns, Stephen Curry of the Golden State Warriors, <clears throat> excuse me, Stephen Curry of the Golden State Warriors, Anthony Edwards of the Minnesota Timberwolves, Paul George of the LA Clippers, and Carl Anthony Towns of the Minnesota Timberwolves. Then for the Eastern Conference, Jalen Brown of the Boston Celtics, Donovan Mitchell of the Cleveland Cavaliers, Jalen Brunson, first-time All-Star for the New York Knicks, Bam Adebayo of the Miami Heat, Julius Randle of the New York Knicks, Tyrese Maxey, first-time All-Star for the Philadelphia 76ers, and Paolo Bancaro, of the Orlando Magic, first-time All-Star as well. Congratulations to all of these players. Well-deserved. Um, of course, recently we've done a DEFCON level about certain players' chances to make All-Star. Looks like Maxi did make it. Carl Anthony Towns was the second Timberwolf to make it. I think that makes a lot of sense. The West's top team, Kyrie Irving, Kyrie Irving did not make it. Makes a bit of sense with Dallas not being... Um, as hot as maybe the the Timberwolves um, or uh, even the Thunder. The Thunder, of course, was only one all-star, Shea Gilders-Alexander, um, but they a little more dependent on SGA compared to the Timberwolves having Towns and Edwards and even Gobert could have been in the discussion. Um, a lot of conversation, you know, with the West that perhaps um, – Darren Fox and or Demonis Sabonis were snubbed from the Western Conference. That argument could be made. Um, I think those players were very much in that conversation. Um, but it's it's hard to argue too much with the players that were picked. Um, there's just a lot of talented players in the NBA. 
Um, so I think overall they, the, the coaches did a pretty great job selecting this group of players. And uh, that is it for our key news from the last couple of days. Now that we've taken care of our game summaries and our key news, let's go ahead and shift focus into our latest franchise focus, this time talking about the Milwaukee Bucks. Franchise focus. Yes, the Milwaukee Bucks, the uh, fear the deer slogan, uh, a moniker for them. I think that's been a fun one in recent years. And the Bucks, of course, a recent champion in 2021. They won the NBA championship with their core of Giannis Antetokounmpo, Drew Holiday, your point guard, Brooke Lopez, Chris Middleton, um, a recent all-star at that time. The Bucks have a pretty solid history. Um Across their 56 seasons, they have a win percentage of 5-2-8. They've made the playoffs 35 different times and have won two different championships, um, both with um, supremely talented, um, burgeoning stars at, uh, you know, the inside inside presences, I suppose. Of course, in their third year of existence, they won an NBA championship with a center by the name of Lou Alcindor, who would later be known as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Um, so they were pretty blessed early to get a player uh, of that caliber. And, you know, after their first season, they had five straight seasons of at least 56 wins. Um, so that's a pretty great place to start your franchise out at. But even after that, of course, they had great runs in the 80s. Um, much of the 90s, they struggled. They bounced back for competitive teams in the early 2000s on and off playoffs throughout the late 2000s and 2010s. And then recently they've been a powerhouse team in the Eastern conference again. Um, So they've got a pretty great all around history. And of course we're talking about the latest team. This year's team is defined by the off season trade for Damian Lillard. We've already talked about it a bit with our, our game summary from uh, the bucks losing in Portland to the trailblazers. They also shook up their coaching staff recently by firing head coach Adrian Griffin. Uh, Joe Prunty became the interim head coach. And then they hired Doc Rivers, who had been in the broadcast booth, as their newest head coach. And so head coach turnover, along with a talented roster that's struggled defensively, and has a Middleton, a Chris Middleton, uh, former all-star that is struggling to fully get acclimated back from injury in in many ways. Um, The thing is, when they made the trade for Damian Lillard, the expectation was set in terms of the goal for this team in the next few seasons is to win a championship. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. You're talking about two of the 75 greatest players um, or these players named to the 75th anniversary team um, pairing up a point guard and a power forward. And you've got much of the same crew in Brooke Lopez, Bobby Portis, um, Pat Connaughton guys that were with the last championship team. Of course um, they've added Jay Crowder. Who's been to multiple finals. They've added Malik Beasley, who is one of the top three-point shooters in the league this year. The team has plenty of talent. 
I think the bench outside of Bobby Portis has been a concern. Of course, they've been without Jay Crowder for many games, and now that he's back, that strengthens their depth, especially front court wise. Back court is more of a concern. They do have Cameron Payne, which I like a lot as a, a reserve point guard. They have some younger guards and uh, Beauchamp and or Beauchamp and Andre Jackson Jr. So getting a bit of bench help, I think, would be the the big thing. But really for the Bucks, it's going to come down to um how how Doc Rivers fits with this team. You know, Rivers gets um I wouldn't say quite maligned, but he gets questioned a lot in recent seasons. Of course, he won a championship with Boston and the Celtics uh, in 2008 with one of the, the great teams we've seen in the NBA, um, <clears throat> realistically speaking, in terms of talent and um, in-season and, and postseason accomplishments, records. You know, he had that coaching job, and he's been a great coach. No one can deny his ability to to join a, a, a franchise and a, a program and help get them to winning basketball, even if they don't have a massive amount of talent. But the problem is people are questioning him lately because he's been the coach for the Clippers and then the, the Sixers and um, these teams that have all-star level players that should be easy, you know, playoffs and championship contenders that, are falling just a little bit shorter of what you would expect them to, you know? And so that's maybe the big question. And I think that's not really a surprise for people that the coaching is a question because clearly the bucks denoted that that was a question by making a move like that, because outside of that, the team should have the talent to, to make a run at things. Um, So that's really all I can say about it. Of course, if you're a bucks fan, you're feeling pretty good still, despite those questions, You've got two of the great players of this generation and you still have solid talent around them. You know, the Bucks are going to be in the playoffs. They're going to be one of the top seeded teams in the Eastern Conference. The question is, at that time, will they be ready? And if they're not ready this year, what does that mean for the team building with Lillard and Giannis going forward? You know, Lillard's a bit older than Giannis, so if Lillard starts to fall off, you know, then that makes it an interesting situation in terms of moving on from him or keeping him and adding even more talent. Um, All this could be a moot point and they win a championship this year. It's really just hard to say, Um, but certainly they're, they're right where you want to be in terms of the contending. They've got pieces to contend and that's what they're building towards. And I think that's, it's great for a team like Milwaukee. That's not a big market. Um, but has had a great history and has had a rich history of of uh, some of the great players in NBA history, really, um, to be right there in that mix. So the current team's looking good. Uh, as far as our historic team, I wanted to go with one that was probably a safer bet. Sometimes I've shied away from talking about teams that are, are well-known in a franchise's history. This time around, we'll go with a pretty famous example. We're going with the 2001 Milwaukee Bucks Um but the team is notable for more than just their high level play. Of course, they were 52 and 30, a surprise in the NBA that season, but then even more surprising, uh, they made it all the way to the conference finals 
lost in a heartbreaking and controversial in many ways, seven game series to the Philadelphia 76ers. It was a, a bit of an overachieving year, but they had talent. They had one of the great coaches in George Carl. Again, Carl has his fair share of critics and perhaps rightly so, but this team, you know, Ray Allen played all 82 games of that year, but this was a young Ray Allen really coming into his own as a star guard and, and scorer. Glenn Robinson, a veteran all-star um, tied for Ray Allen in terms of leading the, the team in scoring. Allen took the lead, the, the team scoring lead in the playoffs. And then Sam Cassell, veteran point guard, experienced championship experience as well. And then there's Tim Thomas, who is a younger forward coming into his own. He shot 41% from three that year. Um, pretty remarkable stuff. And he shot even better in the playoffs, uh, which is pretty amazing. By the way, Ray Allen shot 48% from three in the playoffs for these Bucks teams. Unreal. They had Lindsey Hunter, um, who was starting to get into his veteran guard on a, a winning team era, I suppose. Of course, he would cap that off with a championship in Detroit in 04. They had Irvin Johnson. That's E-R-V-I-N, not E-A-R-V-I-N. Um, not Magic Johnson, but Irvin Johnson, the center, who was a solid, serviceable center, uh, started a handful of games. They had a, a mishmash. They had Darvin Ham on this team. Of course, the current Lakers head coach, but Darvin Ham in his playing days was on this 01 Bucks team. Um, they had Jason Caffey, uh, who had been with the Bulls very briefly during their championships in the late 90s. Scott Williams, a former champion with the Bulls. Uh, and then they had some younger guys, Joel Prisbilla and Rafer Alston. It's a really interesting mix. Um, and again, the playoff run, I think is more a bit of an overachieving moment and it is a credit to the best parts of George Carl's coaching acumen. Um, it was kind of like the stars aligning for, for the best parts of all these people involved. George Carl as a coach. Ernie Grunfeld as an executive has had high marks, but has also had some questionable moves, but kind of pulled the strings just right for the season to, to break the way it did. Um, the veterans, you know, had the, the best mix they could of Irvin Johnson and Scott Williams, you know, great front court tandem to pair with the scoring emphasis of, of Allen and Robinson with Sam Cassell. He had three point shooting and Tim Thomas, um, and then just some some hardworking uh, veterans in Caffey and Hunter and Ham, I think, had been a veteran uh, for a little bit at that point. Yeah, a few seasons. But um, I don't know. There's much more I can really add. The controversy, of course, with that conference finals, um, 0-1 Bucks Sixers. You can also see it in 0-2 with Kings Lakers. Accusations that the NBA had um, preconceived, uh, you know, desired outcomes for these series in, term, in terms of which teams would be prefer, uh, preferred to win the series to move on in terms of viewership, market size. Um, you know, the league would rather have the Lakers beat the Kings to play the Nets than, you know, if you had Kings Nets finals in 02, wouldn't have been great. Um, there's the same argument about 
the league wouldn't have wanted the Bucks in the 0-1 finals because they would rather have Allen Iverson in the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, with the 0-2 Kings-Lakers finals, that one, uh, you could certainly go down much more of a rabbit hole. With Bucks-Sixers, there's it's not as prominent in terms of the controversy and the um the the frustrations with uh foul discrepancies or discrepancies in calls um if you want to open up that rabbit hole um there's certainly plenty of uh videos and and uh discussion you know essay type videos on, on youtube or other sites that will talk about it um Suffice to say, the Bucks didn't win the series. And it's just more interesting because another YouTube series documents the the fall of this team shortly after um, the very next season. They missed the playoffs. And it's just such a bizarre, you know, isolated season. The season before, they slipped into the playoffs, lost in the first round. This one year, they went 52-30 and 30 and made it one game short of uh, the NBA Finals. And it's a pretty remarkable run. Definitely a great team to highlight Ray Allen and and Glenn Robinson potent duo along with Sam Cassell. It was a great team. And again, a lot of people talk about this one, but I felt like we could go with one that was a little bit more common um, to make things a bit easier on ourselves this week. Um, But it's also, you know, hard to ignore the great teams because, um, with Milwaukee, like a lot of franchises in the in the NBA, they've had a lot of great teams that are worth talking about. So that's our team. As far as our player, we're going to talk about one of the forgotten players and in trying to get ready for this episode, there wasn't a lot to, to find in terms of uh, videos discussing him or even interviews. We're talking Michael Red, who was a second round steal. He was a 43rd overall pick in a week 2000 NBA draft, which is bizarre because uh, he's from Columbus, Ohio, went to Ohio State, stayed in Columbus for college, and in his three years was one of the best players in his conference, the Big Ten, um, was a, a top scorer, seemed like a you know home run, at least first round pick, falls to the second round, gets confused, you know, never, he still doesn't quite know why that happened, but fell to the second round to the Bucks, and he was on that 0-1 team. Forgot to mention that Michael Red was on that roster. Played just six games, scored a total of 13 points in his rookie year. Didn't play in the playoffs at all. So he was there on that 0-1 team. As that team kind of got dismantled, Ray Allen was eventually traded off, as was Glenn Robinson. Glenn, then Michael Red got thrust into more opportunities. By the time he was in his fourth season in 2004, uh, he played all 82 games of that season, uh, averaged about 37 minutes a game, and averaged just shy of 22 points a game, making his first and only ever all-star appearance. Five boards a game as well, 35% from three, and he would be really ahead of his time. He didn't shoot unbelievably lights out from three-point range, usually hovering around 37%, solid, especially for his era. Um, but he shot a pretty good volume. He's, he's shooting about five or six threes a game, um, a little bit ahead of his time in that regard. Um, and he was a, a pretty good volume scorer in 2007. Um, he only played 53 games in the 07 season, 
but he averaged 26.7 points per game. Um, and just an underrated score, especially for a Milwaukee team that more often than not was just kind of below average. Um, but it was that 07 season where he had his career high as well, 57 um, against the Utah Jazz, but they they lost that game. And that's just kind of a, a, unfortunately, a note of Michael Red's career in a lot of ways, you know, great score, underrated in so many ways, but his team just didn't win a lot. It wasn't a big market and he didn't have stars alongside him even when they were bad. Sometimes you have uh, an underperforming team that has stars, so it's still worth watching. Michael Red wasn't super flashy. His jump shot looked a little bit awkward, um, but he could just he could just play. And so outside of Milwaukee, not a lot of people talked about Michael Red, but he was a draft day steal. Dropped 57 in a game. He was an elite scorer for several seasons. It's just a shame at the end of his career, the knees, uh, you know, knee injuries kind of took away the remaining games that he had severely limited his career to to just about 12 seasons um even less than that in terms of games played but i want to cap it off with the 08 season um had another solid year in terms of um that that nba campaign 70 uh, 72 games played uh, about 23 points per game another productive year for a bucks team that went 26 and 56 that was starting to kind of bottom out. But that off season, he was part of the redeem team. Of course, the 08 redeem team, gold medal winning U S Olympics team at the Beijing summer Olympics, the headliners, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Chris Paul, Darren Williams, um, you know, the stars of stars, of that era. And Michael red was on that team because of his professionalism and his desire. There's a great anecdote from, I believe Jerry Colangelo, who was part of the USA basketball administration at that time. And they were interviewing players and discussing with players, figuring out, you know, him along with my coach, uh, Mike Krzyzewski, who was the new head coach of the program which players to bring on for this team that was going to redeem USA basketball after a bronze medal finish at the 04 Olympics. And they agreed to interview Michael red, who really wanted to to do it. He decided to drive down from, from practice that same day to do the interview. He shows up to the house of, I, again, I think it was Jerry Colangelo. Colangelo opens up the door and reds in his, you know, uh, practice gear, warm up sweats those kind of things and he comes in and he's like can you excuse me for a second i need to use your you know your restroom or something to that effect um he has a bag over his shoulder and he he changes in the bathroom comes out and he's wearing a suit and tie because the interview meant that much to him for an opportunity to play for a gold medal and i think that's because volumes about his professionalism and his love of the game and his his passion for you know, being able to represent his country, to play on the international stage, to be a part of uh, such an important team like that, I think is a big deal. And it's great to listen to him afterwards. Again, not a lot of interviews I could find, but listening to him talk, I, I love to hear him talk about, you know, he has just a, a, a 
quiet and calm confidence about him. He knows that he was he's a great player. Um, he doesn't really have a lot of uh, regrets or, um, man, I wish this didn't happen or I wish this happened differently. He he's happy with you know he he was a great player for a long time and he did a lot of great things in the NBA. He was a big part of the Milwaukee community as well. Really came to love Milwaukee as well. And after that, he's just enjoyed, uh, you know, his life post playing career. And I, I, he really gained a a bigger fan in me today after looking more into him, you know, enjoyed Michael red as a player, but even more so now learning a bit about him, um, a great person along with a great player and underrated in bucks franchise history. That 57 was a franchise high. It was the bucks career record or the Bucks record for, for points in a game by any player until one Giannis Antetokounmpo broke that record. One final note, he wore the number 22. Of course, Chris Milton wears that number now, and he didn't wear it to, you know, oh, I'll, I, the number doesn't mean anything. He wore it because of Michael Red, and he wanted to continue what Red did, and it's funny because of the similarities in some ways, uh, as Michael Red has actually pointed out in their play styles. So kind of living on in its own way through Chris Middleton. He's keeping Michael Red's legacy alive in a, in a small part there in a now very much winning Milwaukee organization. So with that, I think that takes care of this week's franchise focus. So let's go ahead and move on to our Fantasy Fridays segment. Okay, checking in on the fantasy picture, I'm barely leading this week's matchup, uh, even after adjusting my lineups. I have a couple players that are out with injury at the moment, Jeremy Grant and RJ Barrett, but I don't think those are super long-term injuries, or at least let's hope not. Of course, I recently got back Evan Mobley from IR, so that I'm hoping should give me a bit of a boost. Um, I won last week's matchup as well, so I'm six and eight now, just below 500, which is fifth best out of eight teams. So I guess fifth best or fourth worst, whichever way you want to look at it. Um, and again, I made moves recently. I brought in uh, Grayson Allen. I brought in who else? RJ Barrett. I think those were the two main ones. And Allen, I think, has been solid. R.J. Barrett, um, hit or miss. I was hoping for him to pan out in a big way. We talked about him previously on a Fantasy Friday segment. Not sure if it has. And again, these picks that we have, I'm by no means, we're by no means fantasy experts, but we're just doing our best to give you our take on a couple of guys that maybe could be moving. And so that's where we'll go now, our, our weekly movers. Um, a player that I have rising is Jamal Murray. His scoring is up, uh, mainly and his rebounds and three point percentage is up a touch as well. It, for me, it's more just about consistency. We know that he missed a lot of time, um, in November, December with the injury that took him out for about a month. He's more consistent now. And especially if they're going to miss Jokic for some games, uh, over the coming weeks, he'll, step up he'll get some more points he'll do some more things 
And for a Nuggets team that's going to have the sense of urgency and has a great head coach in Michael Malone, I anticipate that Jamal Murray will continue to elevate his play a little bit over the next few weeks. So I'm going with Jamal Murray as a riser, a faller. I went with De'Aaron Fox scoring is down. Assists are down. Three point percentage was way down. I don't think that's really going to hold. I don't expect him to continue to struggle. Um, But I think, you know, I maybe even could have done the reverse. You could certainly argue that with him being snubbed as an all-star, he could go on a tear and have some, some great offensive games. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see that happen, but at the same time, again, with Sacramento, the inconsistency is a touch alarming in terms of long-term success, especially in the playoffs. So with Fox, I'm just curious to see how it all kind of plays out. The, the numbers are down. It was kind of the big numbers that I saw down or one of the big numbers um, I saw down. So we went with De'Aaron Fox for a faller. And then as the sleeper goes, uh, we went with a player who's had a hot stretch on one of the hottest teams, Dante DiVincenzo of the New York Knicks. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, the scoring is up about seven points a game. And then other stats are up marginally as well, including assists and three-point percentage. Um I mean, the Knicks are just on a tear. And I think DiVincenzo starting alongside Brunson is a great backcourt combo. I'm kind of surprised DiVincenzo hadn't had a chance to start a little bit more fully after what he had done in Milwaukee. Um, So I think that's a great thing for the Knicks. And now with Randall out, the scoring workload could land a little more on DiVincenzo's shoulders. So he could get some, some higher scoring production over the next couple of weeks. So keep an eye out there but otherwise that's my quick take on some movers in the fantasy space let's also take a glance at weekly predictions of course again i gloated about my one prediction that i got right from a few weeks ago about the new york knicks as far as other recent predictions we can comment on um i had a prediction in week 13 about Pacers finishing top four in the East with Pascal Siakam. Um, Early to tell on that one. I think they're doing okay. Um, They're sixth in the East right now, so it's certainly possible, but um, you can't really determine one way or the other whether I think it's super likely to happen. Um, We had, what else did we have? Uh, Cade Cunningham becoming a trade target. I mentioned that one a couple times. I'm not so sure that that's really going to be a thing. Uh, looks like I was accurate also on my week nine weekly prediction. Paolo Bencaro will make his first all-star game this season. But again, I don't think that was really a bold prediction. I think most could have picked that. So um, go ahead and move on. Wyatt has a prediction that the Warriors will make a big splash and trade one of the original three stars before the trade deadline. We've got a week to see if that will actually come true. And a lot of these are trade deadline predictions. So We'll certainly be talking next week in terms of uh, looking back on weekly predictions to see which of those trade deadline predictions ended up coming true and how many moves actually end up taking place. But for the moment, let's start wrapping things up. Firstly, with our weekend forecast, all of the times that I will give for these games are in Eastern Standard Time. So keep that in mind as you're planning your schedule uh, around any of these games. Potentially on Saturday, there's six games total. One national broadcast that's on ABC at 830, where the New York Knicks will host the Los Angeles Lakers. There's a good rivalry history there, especially in the 70s. But of course, it's also the two biggest markets 
in sports and in the NBA. So that's always going to be a, an interesting matchup. And also with how hot the Knicks have been and the Lakers questions with LeBron and AD, no shortage of storylines there for that game on ABC. Your remaining games at six o'clock, the 76ers will host the Brooklyn Nets at seven 30. The Atlanta Hawks host the golden state warriors uh, at eight o'clock. The Sacramento Kings are in Chicago against the bulls. And then two games at eight 30 Spurs host the Cavaliers and Dallas Mavericks host the Milwaukee bucks. Giannis versus Luca, certainly an intriguing potential matchup there on Sunday. Nine games total, three national broadcasts, interestingly enough. Um, two NBA TV games, sandwiching an ESPN game. Firstly, on NBA TV at 3.30, the Washington Wizards host the Phoenix Suns. It seems like that one always gets a random bit of intrigue because, oh, Kevin Durant is from D.C. area loosely, I guess. Um, but, of course, also it gets more intrigue this year because – of the Bradley Beal trade from the Wizards. So it should be interesting. Again, NBA TV at 3.30 if you want to check that out. Um, then on ESPN at 6 o'clock, the Miami Heat will host the LA Clippers. Jimmy Butler versus Kawhi Leonard. That alone intrigues me. That one could be very good. And then at 8.30, a Northwest Division matchup. The Denver Nuggets host the Portland Trailblazers. Interesting stuff there. Your remaining games at three o'clock, the Detroit Pistons will host the Orlando Magic. Two games at six o'clock, the Hornets host the Indiana Pacers, and then the Boston Celtics host the Memphis Grizzlies. Two games at seven o'clock, Toronto Raptors are in Oklahoma City against the Thunder, and then the Houston Rockets are in Minnesota against the Timberwolves. Finally, at eight o'clock, the Utah Jazz host the Milwaukee Bucks. That's local access, so either Jazz Plus or KJazz on local Utah cable networks finally on monday there's six games total one national broadcast that's on nba tv at 7 30 as the brooklyn nets host the golden state warriors then your remaining games the philadelphia 76ers host the dallas mavericks at seven o'clock two other games at seven the sacramento kings are in cleveland against the cavaliers and the charlotte hornets host the los angeles lakers at 7 30 the la clippers are in atlanta against the hawks and then finally at eight o'clock the Toronto Raptors are in New Orleans to face off against the Pelicans. Um, a little bit of a quieter schedule. There's some games that are um, certainly interesting, uh, especially that Sunday slate. Uh, Suns, Wizards, and Clippers Heat stands out a lot to me. But then, of course, Lakers-Knicks, I think, is very intriguing also. Of course, the national broadcast, usually the more marquee matchups. But a game that's not a marquee uh, you know, national broadcast for me, Bucks Jazz. I want to see if the Jazz can rebound uh, after a, a tough couple of games recently. But then also, Bucks Mavericks eight thirty on Saturday. Luca versus Giannis, I think, would be a very interesting one. So again, those are your games from this upcoming weekend. We'll wrap things up, close things out with our this day in history fact for you. We're going back to nineteen ninety six for a very interesting one here. February 2nd of 1996, Chicago's 99 to 84 road win over the LA Lakers with Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson meeting on the court for the first time since game five of the 1991 NBA Finals. Set at the time a record as the highest rated NBA game ever on cable TV. The telecast on TNT earned a 7.1 rating and a 13.1 share being viewed in an average of 4.75 million homes. 
The rating mark stood until the May 21st, 1996 Chicago-Orlando playoff game. So, of course, the mid to late 90s is when viewership was really starting to surge. Michael Jordan's second go-around in the NBA. But also that storyline. Magic and Michael faced off in 1996 in Los Angeles. Um, people forget that Magic Johnson came back for a handful of games in 1996, the year before Kobe was drafted and Shaq was brought to the Lakers. Can you imagine if Magic played one more year and you had a season of Kobe, Magic, and Shaq, no matter how um, you know past his playing days Magic was, that would have just been wild, and it would have been even more of a storyline. But as it is, still a very interesting footnote nonetheless. But otherwise, that is it for our show today. Thank you all again for listening. We really appreciate your support. Um, as it stands right now, we're planning to be back on Monday with a normal Monday show, uh, recapping the weekend, doing the latest power rankings, weekly MVP, all of those good uh, segments we have for you. So definitely stay tuned for that. Otherwise, thanks for listening, and we'll be back with you soon.